Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Turning them to the book of Second Thessalonians, and we're going. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll have uh, the ushers will come forward and give you a Bible. We're going to be finishing up uh, next week Second Thessalonians. So we're studying through the scriptures, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we come to the place here in Second Thess- Thessalonians chapter three. We'll be looking at the first five verses, then we'll kind of finish off the rest of the chapter next week. But um, if you're there, let's stand together and we'll read our text. Paul the Apostle is writing these words. And he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. And listen, this is men and women. It's, It's for not all have the faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. But we we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things that we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. And so, Lord, we're so thankful for your word to us. We ask you, Lord, to... Continue to open our hearts that we might receive from you this morning in our ears. And not only from us, Lord, but our children that are in the children's ministry, how they need to hear the truth of your word. God, help them to receive and help us to receive as we just sang, people get ready. Jesus is coming. Take from the world his own. Lord, soon and very soon, we know that we're going to be with you. And whether soon is a year or five years or 10 years, it might be 50 years, but that's soon. And we're excited about it. We just pray that you would get us ready for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Paul the Apostle here writing to the church. And you think about one of the things that I was thinking about this morning about the, the letters the letters that we receive, that we, you know, Paul's letters that he wrote in the New Testament that have been canonized, uh, some of them are letters that are um, meant for correction, like Corinthians. Some of them are, um, this right here, we have prophecy, we have speaking of the end times. And so even the theme of what, what is taught is going to be kind of changed a little bit. There's not a whole lot of correcting going on, either in First or Second Thessalonians, Though they're the first two letters written in the New Testament. And so you have the idea that what the enemy wanted to distort from the church is that the fact that Jesus was coming. He's, he was coming. And so he wanted to, you know, the first two letters are, are about that. He said, don't, don't be deceived. You know, Jesus is coming. Just understand that. And so this here you have this Paul commending them because they're, they're growing in the Lord. Their faith is growing. Their love is growing. And then he spoke to them about that great falling away. I call it the great falling away because it's that time where, you know, we see like this uh, down, downward spiral from the truth. And we're seeing it in our day today, like never before, that the truth of God's word is just being neglected or distorted that's why we want you to have a Bible so you can follow along with it. And so he says, you know, you think about, as I was mentioning, some letters are corrective letters, some are encouraging, some are, Timothy, you know, get ready. Uh, you know, you're going to, you got to stay in Ephesus, which we'll see in a couple weeks. I want you to remain there because there's some work that has to be done. Or it might be one on theology, which is Romans or God's grace. But this letter here, the first two letters written were to warn the church to not listen to the unruly men and women that were coming up with these ideas of that Jesus had already come or something had already taken place or they weren't good enough or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, 
here we have that Paul's bringing this thing to an end in chapter 3, and we're going to look at the five verses, and he says, finally, in verse 1, finally, brethren, and, and he's finally kind of encapsulating these thoughts and wrapping everything up that he said. Remember, he's, again, commended them on their love and on their faith. Again, he's talked to them about the falling away. He's talked to them about what's going to take place in the end times. You know, we are to keep our eyes not on the Antichrist, but we're to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ the one who saved us, who gave his life for us. And so we have, you know, wrapping these things up finally, just a little bit more to write to you. And he's uh, ministering to them here. And he says, finally, and look at the very next word. He says, finally, brethren. I think that's important to understand. He says, finally, brethren. 24 times in these two letters that he uses this phrase, brethren. He's talking to sisters too. Brethren, he's talking about the body of Christ. It's this family thing. Family. You see what Christ has done for us? He, we belong to this family now. Be, not because of how good we are. <laughs> None of us would be there. But because of what he's done for us. The, the grace of God being poured out. And so he's writing to these people, these, this church, small church in Thessalonica. And he says to them, Brethren, finally, speaking of that family, don't ever forget that those who have accepted the payment of the penalty of their death or their sins, who have accepted Jesus Christ into their life, that are born again, as the Bible says, my brother uh, spelled out last week. You know, these things, he says, you know, then finally, brethren, that includes you. And it says uh, 2,000 years ago when Paul was writing this, he shares about the importance of of family, the importance of the body of Christ. So too, 2,000 years ago, t today, later, it's so important that we see the body of Christ as important. The family coming together, blood-washed saints, men and women coming together. doesn't matter what kind of differences we've had. We're under one common denominator right now, Jesus Christ. We've been washed. Paul said in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 4 through 6, he said, there is one body, speaking of the church, it's not several bodies. There's several churches, but it's still one body. He's still the head of the body of Christ. One spirit in which you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one uh, baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So Paul's wrapping this thing up here to the church of Thessalonica. And it's interesting because he's going to request prayer from them. Usually in Paul's letters, you'll see it as you go through, especially like I mentioned Ephesians, Paul will pray for them in several times. You know, you'll see it. And now, Lord, I pray. And now I pray. And now that the Lord would. <laughs> but here he's, uh, you know, making this solicit for them to say, would you pray for us? It's so important. I don't think there's anybody that is, with that doesn't need prayer. And if the Apostle Paul needs prayer and he's asking for prayer, it should be good for you and I to say, well, wait a second, I might need some prayer too. I mean, I'm always in need of prayer and I thank you guys for praying for me. I am, I am a needy pastor. You guys know that by now. That guy's in need, man. You better be praying for him. But, uh, you know, especially in need of those who are distributing the gospel out, those who are in the front lines. Get taking the gospel message out into the world. So look at what he says. Finally, brethren, he says in the plea, pray for us. Paul knew that is the real answer, the real tool for the successful ministry it was going to be prayer. It wasn't, wasn't programs. It wasn't anything else. It wasn't big rock bands or it wasn't these smoke machines going off or anything like that. It was the fact that it was prayer. They needed prayer. And that's that avenue that where we get to talk to God. Would you help pray for us that we might, you might seek God for us, that we might, you know, be about his business. And so, you know, we want to stay on that straight and narrow path. We want to make sure that what we're doing is not necessarily exciting in a sense, understand what I'm saying, and for the pews, but it's heavenly blessed. And then when it's heavenly blessed, the pews understand it. You know, the people understand it. And so, you know, he says, pray for us. And, and I'm encouraged, I want to encourage you all 
this morning to, to, to pray. And I know you do pray, but pray for your servants or the servants here at Calvary Longview because there isn't a leader who doesn't have a bullseye on their chest that the enemy wants to take down in one way or another. The elders, the deacons, but it goes far beyond that even. It goes from there, it goes from, uh, you know, the Sunday school teachers. Our Sunday school teachers, they're doing exactly what I'm doing right now. They're breaking it down to little kids. That's why we have children's ministry so that they can cherish the, the, the word of God and give it out to the children so that they might come into this relationship with Jesus at a young age. I think of our nursery workers. Same thing, taking care of the children and, and, and so that we have the opportunity to come in here and hear the word of God, but pray for them. Ushers, greeters, the guys, the, the gals, the guys and gals that go out there and get you when it's raining with an umbrella. Isn't that so wonderful? Now pray for them because they don't want to, you know, the enemy is going to meet them like he meets you, like he meets me. I don't want to go to church. You heard the story about the guy, Mom, I don't want to go to church. What do you mean you don't want to go to church? I just don't feel like going to church. Well, son, you've got to go to church. Why do I have to go? Because you're the pastor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's attacks all over. There's, there's, seriously, there are attacks all over that we need, to, we need to pray. We need to understand that we need prayer. Our deacons, our deacons at last Sunday's family meeting that we had here in the afternoon, we appointed a couple new deacons. Pray for them, please. Pray for them. I mean, uh, one of the desires for Satan is to bring such discouragement upon them. I mean, it's daily to be dressed with the armor of God. And it's, you know, you want to get in the ministry. We saw this in Jeremiah's life on Wednesday night. You want to get in the ministry. It's not easy. But they've stepped up to the plate and the challenge and calling that God has put upon their lives. And I encourage you to pray for them. And so this is what Paul does here. Is he's soliciting their prayers to pray. But it's in this specific uh, context, he says, pray that we would be effective in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was important for him. I mean, pray that we might be effective in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen, pressures have come upon us, there's no doubt. They were upon Paul. Pressures would come upon you and I, the same. But we weren't going to let the pressures come, and Paul wasn't going to let the pressures get to him and keep him from doing what he's doing. Or no, well, he wasn't going to give the pressures the emphasis on outweighing, you know, the things that he should do. He just says, hey, would you pray? Would you pray also for me that we can be effective in what God has called us to do? He's not praying for a vacation or praying for a time of way, which those things are necessary and they're good. But he's praying that, hey, while I'm here, what I'm doing, I need prayer that I could be effective. Remember, the church is just starting out. Theology is just being, uh, you know, developed as Paul, the Holy Spirit is uh, ministering to Paul and some of the other writers. And, and so you're seeing these things that are so important that as they're digging through and reading and praying through the Old Testament as the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write letters to you and I. Man, there is an enemy out there that wants to keep that from happening. Just like there's an enemy that wants to keep this from happening right here. If he can take down a pastor or a leader or whatever it might be. Our Sunday school teachers, you know, you think of these wonderful people that are serving so diligently in our children's ministry and they have problems just like we have problems you know they wake up and they got little kids too and they they get sick and they're puking up green at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> it's the way it is right it says pray for us pray for us and if Paul can ask for prayer it should encourage any of us to not be embarrassed to ask for prayer when there's a time of need in our lives. And look at what he says, the reasons, two reasons why he says, before he asks for prayer is pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. Number one. Again, it wasn't programs that Paul relied upon, but it was God's word. It was the word of God. And he knew that there was power in the word of God. He understood the power in the word of God. And he understood that it was only God's word that can change lives. It wasn't a program. I love our most excellent way, Friday nights. What is it? One step. What's that one step? Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. You see, many today are 
adamant about wanting to find changes in the world today. And we can get people warmer and sober or whatever the case may be, but unless we have the word of God, we're missing the mark. We want to make sure that, and our responsibility is to make sure that the word of God goes out. Make sure that, you know, that we're taking God's word, that it's God's word that's going to change lives. I mean, so if we're sober or if we're warm, is that going to get us all the way into heaven? No. But what we need is Jesus Christ. And when he changes a life, we no longer need that. We, 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 we receive what we, from the Lord, that which we need. And then we begin to grow in him. And he begins to take care of things like no tomorrow. But it's by the word of God. It's by God's word. Even churches, I think that we have a desire to be social or be, you know, there's problems out there. I'm game with helping anybody out that needs a hand. But I want to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ because I want to see them walk on their own. I want to see them being changed. I don't know about you. I was homeless at one time. I don't even know that. I was homeless. And, and, and for the sake that I was living in my land cruiser because I had nowhere to go. Burn a lot of bridges. But the Lord had to get a hold of me. And the Lord had to change me because everything around me wasn't going to change. So I had to change me. I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. But until God got a hold of me, right? When he gets a hold of the individual, when the word of God would pierce the heart of an individual, individuals can be changed. And it's wonderful what God can do. You see this word that Paul, the Bible, that we know as the Bible, God's word is a far cry from what any program has to offer. The writer of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. So he says that, you know, what we need, and even we need God's word in our lives because it has the power. I don't know what changed you. I know what changed me. I was an angry cuss. I know what changed me. It was God's word. And God's word got into my heart and he reminded me that over and over and over again for the, the um, it's, it's eager, be eager to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. This is James 1. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteous, righteousness of God. So I'm trying to raise two kids. But I'm trying to do that. I'm an angry guy. How am I going to do that? That anger is not going to minister to them. So I'm trying to produce the righteousness of God in them, but he's got to do it in me first. So it's the word of God comes in and cuts out all of that junk or exposes it anyway, that we might confess that stuff. And so Paul's saying, we understand the power of the word of God. Listen, the laws aren't going to change. Habakkuk told us long ago that the laws are paralyzed, right? The laws aren't going to change necessarily. And the word of God isn't going to change, but the word of God will always have the power to change the heart. It has the very thing. We see a culture out here that changes over and over. It's trying to find an identity within itself somehow, some way. But it has to understand that our identity should come from our creator. And our creator is Jesus Christ. And so we understand that. Let's get the word of God out. So Paul says that the word of God may run swiftly. And he was also aware that when the word went out, that it wouldn't return void. As Isaiah says, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I have sent it. So he understood that. And we have God's word. And because we have the word of God, we don't have to rely upon programs to get things done. And please understand, listen, what, what, what we need God's word. Our children need God's word. Every, our families need God's word. If we're not going to give our children the word of God, Satan has a message for him. And he'll come in through the radio, through the TV, through the internet, through the schools, whatever, friendships. There's always an enemy with a little whatever with a message that's anti the Bible. So we've got to make sure that we're giving them something to stand upon. That's God's word. We need to have God's word in their lives. See, I went to church as a kid. I, I went to a church. It wasn't a Bible teaching church, but I went to a church. I knew of God, but I didn't know about, you know, how to get, all, how to live life outside of what I saw, the, you know, 
plainly in my eyes, and that was through alcohol and stuff. So all my parents went to church. But when I saw, listen, when I saw that God's word was real, it has the power to change lives. We want to make sure we get that word of God out. And you see, it's only the word of God that will get us to do or allow us to make the changes that we need to change. It isn't great sermons. It isn't beautiful buildings or newest programs. Rather, it is only the word of God. God's word being preached. God's word going out. My responsibility, and I believe every responsibility for every shepherd, every pastor, is to feed the sheep and not entertain the wolves. We have to be feeding the sheep. Look at verse 1 again, because look what it says. He says that the word of God may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you. Swiftly is this free course. It means to remove every obstacle. He didn't want anything blocking the word of God from going out. Pray that God would just move, remove any obstacles, whether they're from myself or from those on the outside, that God's word wouldn't be blocked from going out. It needs to go out in the lives of the people. And may pray that that happens. And then he added to his prayer, he said that it would also be glorified, that the word of God would be glorified. You know what that's like. I mean, you see in Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John, they gather together. They're walking up to the um, temple for the hour of prayer. There's a man sitting there and he's in need. And then the man says, you know, hey, I need some, I need some coin. And, and Peter and John say, money and gold, silver and gold we have not. But what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk and, and rise up. The guy gets up. Well, all of a sudden, it's praise the Lord, right? Well, all the people want to honor Peter and John instead of the word of God. Because there was a word that was given from God to Peter, the word of faith, and to uh, John to have the guy rise up. And, and they didn't want to honor God for it, but the people surrounded them and wanted to honor man. Listen, when the word of God goes forth, no man can receive glory. It has to be the word of God and always the word of God. And this is why it's the word of God that's so important to get out. It has the power. It has the power to change. It has the power to heal. It has the power to save. It has the power. When people look at you and I and they go, man, that person isn't the same person that I remember back in the day. What happened? You can give praise to the word of God. You know, this week, um, a couple days ago, I on a conversation that I had, and I hope that you're watching, Marcus, uh, it was a great conversation to talk to a, a childhood friend of mine. Got a hold of me. Hey, what's going on with you? What's going on with you? I see you're a godly man. Oh, no, no, <laughs> just, just a Christian. But, you know, just to understand, it's God's word that can change us, right? And you see, when you go back to see people you haven't seen, maybe, you're, you know, if you weren't raised in the church, it's God's word that gets a hold of our lives. It's God's word that changes us. Oh, you don't sound the same. I didn't hear any F-bombs. Why is that? Well, because God's word cleaned me out. Can't read his word without speaking right. You know, it's just the, the power of the word of God. That's why we need to rely upon it. Or, man, I don't struggle anymore. Why? Because I've given, I've given the authority to God's word in my life. I just allow God's word to come into my life. And, and so it's, it's so cool. So when you see a bunch of, get, get gather a bunch of gals, as we did in a Mother's Day service in, in Juana's uh, several years ago, and, or, or you come to a, a funeral service like we had a couple of weeks ago and a bunch of moms got saved in Juarez, a bunch of people got saved here a couple of weeks ago, or, you know, whether it's Billy Graham or Greg Laurie or somebody giving a message where thousands of people are being saved, you know what? It's now glory to man. It's the word of God going out. It has the power to save. And so that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, you know what? That the word of God may run swiftly, Go out without any obstacles and be glorified. And then the second thing he says is he says here in verse two, pray for this, that we be delivered from unreasonable uh, and wicked men and, and women. It's what it's referring to. He says in verse two, and he says this unreasonable men, he says because unreasonable brings on the, the meaning of, uh, of um, out of place. These guys are out of place or they're improper these guys are all guys that always feel like they have to be heard. They have, I've got this thing. I just got to say it. And I'm not going to shut up until I get it out. All right. And then the wicked is this, it brings on this hurtful 
It speaks of hurtful or evil people. They don't care what they say or how they say it. They're just going to lay it out there. They don't have a heart. They're just laying it out there. They just, they got this tongue James talks about, you know, piercing is just crazy. But these people who, who uh, hinder Paul, they were unbelievers and they had different motives than Paul. Look, they, they didn't desire people to be saved. They had no concern with people to see them grow in the Lord. So they came against Paul. They don't care. They just don't care about people going to hell. They don't care about people not walking strong with the Lord. If, if the enemy can come in here and he can cause division, he would do that so that sheep would scatter. Oh, I, I hate, I don't like Pastor Al, or I don't like that worship team, or I don't like, that's division. That's what Paul warned against, even when, and to the Corinthians, when he said, they said, some, I am from Paul, I am from, you know, Paulus. That division might come in there. Even though they were teaching some of the right things, the division come with right things or with wrong things. It doesn't matter. The enemy doesn't care. He doesn't care what, what, where, where he comes in at. He just wants to come in. And so these people that Paul is asking to be delivered from, they have different motives or attitudes that don't line up with the scriptures. They're troublemakers. They have a, just this idea. They're, they're, uh, uh, they, they don't have an idea to see people or a heart to see people grow. And Paul wanted to be rescued from the hindrance. I'm not going to stop, he says. He doesn't say anything about stopping, but he just says, you know what? I just pray that it would be need if these things would not uh, take place, if you can, we would be delivered from these people. And he tells them that not all have faith. And what this implies in the original language is not all have the faith. Because they will have faith in many things. <clears throat> People have faith in the economy. Guard yourselves for that, would you? Would you guard yourselves at having faith in the economy today? Because the economy seems so well. Seems so well. Look at it. We have to have faith in God. Faith in, the faith in Jesus Christ. So they, people have faith in, you know, the gas prices coming down or whatever it is. You, listen, you, you don't want to base your faith on what man has done, but what Jesus has said. And so whether it's the economy or some have faith in their retirement or whatever the case may be, there's a danger when people are not operating their lives and trusting Jesus. And that's what we have to do. We have to trust in the Lord and trust in Jesus and have this faith. Remember when Jesus returns, he says, will the son find the faith on the earth? When he comes back, how are men and women going to be operating how are we going to be operating? Are we going to be trusting God? If the Lord was to show up today instead of, remember as he did in Ezekiel and he just peered up and he took Ezekiel into the city, first into the temple and then into the city, what would he be finding us doing? I mean, he already knows, but he just makes a picture, you know, kind of a, a thing to where we look at it and we say, well, I don't know. That's kind of interesting. Never, never thought about it like that. But what would it be? Does he see us operating in the faith? Does he see us trusting in God? See, these men, they didn't have the faith. They weren't of the faith. They weren't of the family. And so they were going to be more trouble than they were going to be anything else. And so Paul says, you know what? Would you pray that these people don't become an influence in and around us? There are going to be an influence maybe in my life. And I've seen attacks come to where they don't really, maybe might hit me, but they tear the body up. They'll wipe some people out. Because they're, they, they have friends and friends, and all of a sudden you get mounds of people doing whatever they're, they want to do, and the rest is history. So Paul says, just pray. But rather than feeling bummed about even their situation in Thessalonica, <coughs> the apostles were confident. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, you know, they're confident because of the Lord. He says, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, Paul's confidence in the midst of knowing that there's going to be wicked men out there, that there's going to be opposition around most every corner, that he's going to be confident that God is going to be faithful. God got to get us through it, even if it's a tough time. The Thessalonian church, they were going through much opposition, personal opposition, persecution. By saying, you know what? God will be faithful. Trust in the Lord. God will always get us through this stuff. The Lord will always get us through. It doesn't matter, you know, what, how we deep things get or how bad things get. He's going to get us through these things. And we, you know, we may emphasize a desire to be 
delivered from evil men and women. But at what point, or excuse me, it, it, what a joy it is when, when we see that um, the Lord takes care of us. He's able to establish and he's able to guard us. See, we may emphasize some things. We may emphasize that, you know, the desire to be delivered or the desire to be, but understand that trusting God through whatever we go through is going to be even greater. And we can trust the Lord through it all. We can trust him through everything. And Paul faces all kinds of troubles. He was in uh, Corinth. Remember in Acts chapter 18, when he wrote these words, he said, they opposed him and blasphemed. I mean, they, they took Paul and they just kind of ripped him up one side and down the other. And a little later in Acts chapter 18, it said that the Lord spoke to Paul in a, in a night by the vision. He said, do not be afraid. See, I had to have confidence in the Lord. Paul, you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to trust the Lord. He says, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. And the Lord said in verse 10 of Acts 18, he says, for I am with you. I've got you. I'm going to walk you through this. And no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. You see, there's this time where Paul, even in, in Acts 18, had to learn to trust God instead of trusting himself. Second Corinthians points that out pretty easy when the God of all comfort, Paul said that I had to learn that I wanted to give up. I wanted to throw in the towels, despair, even of life, wanted to quit. But I had to learn to trust in the God who raises me, who is, is, or who delivered me, who is delivering me, and will deliver me tomorrow, past, present, and future. I've got to learn to trust God. See, there's always a desire for the enemy to put fear into us. That's what he wants. If the enemy can stop you and I from completely obeying the Lord, then we're not going to get where we need to be. We're not going to get where the Lord wants us to be. So if he can stop us and if he can, you know, put that fear in us, we're going to, I'm afraid to go forward for whatever reason. Oh, it's not going to be easy. Or it's not going to be, what happens if, I don't know, you know, we have all this fear instead of running on the word of God. I remember years ago, we used to, and I encourage you to do it now. I don't know how it's done with a lot of people who read electronic Bibles, but we used to write in our Bibles. And I write in my Bible, I underline in my Bible. <laughs> That's a lot of times why I don't read from it up here because I got lines, oh, I was supposed to be underlined, not through the line. You know? <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. I have, I have little passages or one and numbers in here and stuff in there because I know that if the Lord speaks to my heart, I have a, I was just sharing with the staff a while ago that I had a passage here that was, <clears throat> that was given to me by the Lord in um, 2011. I had it underlined about the church, about the building. And it's still there and it's, you know, underlined. I go, man, did you guys believe this? God sent us here and he did all this. You look what he's done. He's just incredible. And he's just got to trust in that because the moment we just say, oh yeah, the Lord spoke to me. What did he say? Why? He, he said this. And about a week later when the enemy starts pounding, you say, well, I think he said that. You see, but if we have it written down, I can go back to it. Oh yeah. You know, bam, booyah, there it is. Take that, devil. But see, there's always that desire that he has to put fear in our lives. And Paul says, I'm confident in the Lord. Don't be confident in yourself. I can't be confident in myself. I have zero confidence. But the confidence I have is in the Lord. See, who is it that delivered the three amigos from the fire? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who is it that delivered Daniel from the lion's den? Who is it that delivered Paul when he was in prison? You see, every single time it was just trust in the Lord. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm just going to walk with God. I'm going to trust in the Lord. So, you know, the, the, you know, the question might be, does fear keep you from accomplishing what it is that God wants to accomplish through your life? Is it fear? Uh, you know what? There, it's one of the tools the enemy uses in my life. I'll just be a little honest with you. Fear. A fear of things. And I've got to constantly go to the Lord. You know what? Lord, I'm... Your word is shares me this, Lord, you know my heart. But they said, well, you know my heart. You know the heart. And many times we won't move forward because of fear. We won't move forward in obedience. So the Lord wants us to do this or the Lord wants us to do that because we fear. And we have to realize something so important. 
2 Timothy chapter 1 says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's not given us that. So if you're born again and you're walking with the Lord, you're born again. He's not giving you a spirit of fear. There's no fear there. And, and the Lord has brought this to me and to live on. Because of, I guess maybe the position and maybe my character that I, you know, how I'm made up. The enemy knows how he can come in and, you know, get under my skin, so to speak, and get me to, you know, fear or cause, whoa, what was that? But, but it's not from the Lord. So you can all identify this thing as, well, fear is coming in. Well, that's not the Lord. Okay? He's not giving us the spirit of fear. I don't have to fear this. I don't have to fear what, what, what you know, God is telling me, maybe step out in faith. I don't have to fear. God is telling you to come to Jesus today. You don't have to fear. You can just come to him. He won't give you a spirit of fear. But he says of power. He says, I give you a, a spirit of power. That's dunamis. So we get our word dynamite. Look at he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives us the power to live our lives. I don't have the power to do the things that he wants me to do, but he has the power to do them. So he says, but of power, listen, and of love, and of where is the first place the enemy attacks? The mind. But he says, I've given you a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when you start thinking things that are like, you know, a little crazy, you start agreeing with the enemy or start battling him up here, that's not the Lord. Personal testimony right here. Some of you know, about 10 days ago, I had to stop drinking coffee. Think, no wonder you're asleep up there. If I fall asleep in my own sermon, that's why. No, I'm just kidding. No, I had to stop drinking coffee. And the reason why, and I'm not, a, I'm not an abuser of coffee. Look, I drink a couple in the morning. I drink maybe one in the afternoon. That's about it, maybe. But because the enemy attacks so much, and man, he would beat and come in, and I'm doing battle with him. And on a personal level, then I start drinking coffee. And where's the mind go? The mind starts gearing up and... And all of a sudden, I'm trying to fight 30,000 voices instead of the one. And I just said, you know what, Lord? He's given us a spirit of love, uh, of, of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Gang, the enemy wants to strike the mind. He wants you to think that you're not good enough to belong to Jesus. Doesn't that happen? He wants you to believe that you don't belong to the family of God. Doesn't that happen? It happens all the time. But God, that's not from the Lord. So you know it's from the devil. So would you receive a, a <coughs> box that says, hey, this is from the devil. Would you want to open it? No, I'm not going to open it. It's stamped from the devil. So I'm just going to set that one aside and send it back. You know? And then he says here in verse four, he says that we have confidence in the Lord. So not only, not only did it was, it was the Lord faithful, but he was going to have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will to do the things we command you. See, the word command here is a military word that it's coming from Paul. Like Paul's getting something from a superior officer and it's being handed down to Paul and Paul's the next guy in charge and he's going to give them this Hey, we're commanding you, we're doing this. It's not the bunch of laws that are out there. But he says, here's the things that Paul is passing down to the church from our heavenly commander in chief. And he says, I want you guys to do these things now. I want you guys to, to understand what you're to do. And so a soldier what might obey out of fear and of loyalty, but a Christian, we have this much higher motive of obedience. And what he calls us to do is he says, hey, I want you not only to do and will do the things that we command you. What is he talking about? I think Paul is em emphasizing and he's emphasizing again the very commandment that Jesus gave us. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, and love one another as yourself. It's so important that we neglect the greatest gift. We all want to be spiritual. We all want to walk with God. And Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Well, what is he talking about? We can start off with just love. And if we can fill our lives just seeking out the love of God that we should have, the love that we have for him and the love that we should have for one another, what a great thing that is. 
Jesus said here, he says in Matthew, excuse me, Mark 12, then one of the scribes <coughs> came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them, well, uh, ask him, what is the first commandment of all? Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus said to him, the first commandment is here, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so in, in battle, every one of us as the body of Christ is required, because we're in God's army, to do the things that he's commanded us to do. And he wants us to love. He wants us to love him, love one another. I mean, it's not me. He doesn't command us to love. You better love me. But it's this love that we, we know that the, the, the love is a motivation in our lives. We should, we should be motivated to love him. Paul says the love of Christ that compels me to do what I do. And so it, to love God and to love what, what, one another. And so in every, in every man's battle that um, we must do our duty. And that's the love. To start out just loving God and loving one another. And what would happen if, you know, you think about our armed forces and our military. What happened if they would run with the same lack of disobedience or the lack of concern or the lack of order or the lack of discipline that we see in the church today? We'd never win a battle. We'd never win a war. But they are determined and they are, they are, they are there. They're confident in the commands that have been given to them by their commander-in-chief, their uh, officers and their captains, their lieutenants. They're giving out the message to tell the troops where to go and what to do. And Jesus has this command for you and I that we're to love him and we're to love one another. And that's huge, but it's so important. It's so important. And so... You think about the battles that we go through, or you think about even the drills that the soldiers have to go through. If the soldiers, if our military were going through drills, and it was just when they felt like it, I don't feel like getting up today. Boy, I understand. How many military men and women do we have in here? Can I see your hands? Thank you all for service. Look at that. That's awesome. Now, listen, I've never been in the military, but I've seen some shows. Maybe I'm not right, but I'm going to use it anyway. They wake up early in the morning. They don't just kind of say, hey, you want to get up? I think it's time to get up. <laughs> they do that. They tickle your ear and say, hey, I think you should get up. I think you're in your grill, right? And they're saying, get up. You need to get ready. Why? Because there's a drill. What's well, not the real thing. Can we just wait for No, we got to practice. It's a drill. So you're waking up at old dark 30 or whatever it is. And you have these, these times. Well, that's like, if they just woke up whenever they wanted to wake up and do drills, they would never be ready. I mean, you and I, you know, we get ready for drills right here. We come to fellowship. And then if we just want to come whenever we wanted, oh, well, it's just, you know, we're never going to be ready for the battles out there. Yeah, you can read your word, but fellowship is so important. When the church started in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they continued steadfastly. 3,000 people were added to the church. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Breaking of bread, reminding them it was Jesus. Prayer, getting on their knees and praying. So they were, they were in fellowship. Fellowship was huge. They, they continued in those things. They didn't start anything new. Hey, that was a good move. We had 3,000 here. What should we do now? Let's just continue. Let's just do those things that God had encouraged us to do. And so here is the same thing. You see, the, the, whether the, the recruits in the army, if they disobeyed the commandment, uh, the orders given to them by their officers, they wouldn't get very far. And the same thing like you and I. We want to get very far. And we need to be motivated by that love. Our Savior loved us. He died for us. The world out there needs to hear the message, right? They need to hear this message that they, they, they love us. And the, the, the message that they're going to hear is a message that they'll see what you and I give to them. See, he's coming for us. As we saw saying this morning, he's coming for us. And if we believe that, the theology of imminent return, he's going to come. And I'm like, I believe that. Do you believe that? I should be living that way. I should be living with that anticipation that he's going to come at any moment and I'm just going to surrender my life to him. Lord, whatever you want for me. 
You know, if you're going to come back today, if you're going to take us home, I want to be ready. I just want to be ready. And, and, and so the question, two, two simple questions. Are you loving and, and longing to see his, him at a soon, soon appearing? Are you longing and, longing and loving? Or will you be ashamed at his coming? Those two, they're great questions. But here's where we can change that second one from being ashamed into having confidence. First John chapter 2, verse 28 says, And now little children abide in him, that when we appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You see, Satan wants you and I to carry around hatred for one another, not love. He wants us to have walls of division within the church. He wants us to be people that are maybe right in our own eyes, but not in God's eyes. See, he wants us to be, you know, Satan wants us to be people that aren't walking according to the ways of God, that we should be having a love for them, having a love for one another. Listen, we're all marred. You ever notice that? Well, you better look in the mirror. <laughs> we're all marred. We're all marred. We all have issues. We all have problems. Now, thank God for Jesus Christ. The only way that we get along together. We had some Packer fans in here last week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> People are looking, who are they? <laughs> Where are they at? <laughs> but, but you know what? We just, we're, we're, we're marred. They're marred. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. We're to listen. We're to love one another. And we're to love each other. And every one of us is marred, but that just testifies of our great need for the Lord and our great need to grow in our love for one another. We need prayer. And, and for us not to pray would be that we, we're saying we don't need prayer. I need to get over whatever it is, or I need to love somebody I can't love. And plus, even though we're marred, the Lord still uses us. We're not perfect by being a Christian, but he's changing us. And that comes by the word of God. We're really familiar with what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides, and that means to continue. That word abide means you're going to continue on with him. You continue in me, not anything else. And I in him, he bear much, bears much fruit. Without, for without me, you can do nothing. And so the church being under attack because they had come to faith in Christ and the attacks come not only from the inside with their families, but they also come from the outside. Remember their families didn't want to see them walk with Jesus. Hey, wait a second, what are you doing? We always celebrated birthdays this way. We've always done, you know, the bar mitzvahs or we've always had parties, whatever holidays. We always went to Aunt Josie's or it, you know, all these things. But, but now... There's, there's an attack from the inside. And then there's an attack from the outside because you had the government, you had Caesar Nero, who was killing Christians, martyring Christians. You want to walk with God? Oh yeah? You want to be the light of the world? Well, I'll put you on fire in my garden. That's what he was doing, crucifying, murdering Christians. Early, and at the, the, again, the very early church is saying, what are you going to do? Are you going to stand for me now? Because the government was so anti-God and so anti-Jesus, but Christians were going to have to say, you know, I'm going to live this way. I'm either going to live for God or I'm going to, I'm going to you know, Paul will be killed. Most of the disciples, except I think for John the Revelator, martyred. Even John was put in a hot boiling thing of oil. It survived. But listen, the enemy would come against them, whether it was from the inside of their own families. You think that was hard. Then you got to go face Caesar Nero, the Roman government. He says, we need to be willing to pray to remove the hindrances in our life, no matter what's out there. And let's close with this. Because Paul prays for them. He says, now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love and the patience of Christ. So he's saying, look, you may not have that love, but may, may the Lord direct your hearts. Because only God can give us that love for he is love. And so when we're empty and we feel like we can't go on and we can't love those whom we're supposed to love as we're commanded to love, God, Paul says, but here's your source. Your source is through the Lord. May the Lord direct your hearts. May he direct your hearts in a love that you so need to be the body of Christ that he wants us to be to one another. See, if we don't have a love for God, 
And we're going to find out real difficult, it's going to be real difficult to have a love for one another the way we're commanded to. But on the other hand, if we do love God and, and you know, we don't have a love for others, he's our source to give us that love that we're to have for others. And then he says, not only <clears throat> may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, but into the patience of Christ. And this is something I always need to hear and be reminded of. Because as they're going through the trials of life, they need to have the patience of Christ. When you and I go through hard times, how are we going through them? The difficult times, yeah, they'll come upon us. But do we have the patience of Christ? Am I resting in the Lord? Am I understanding that God's got this? And I just, Lord, I just need you. I need to have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So the patience of Christ. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are so, <clears throat> we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame as he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus had this way of enduring trials. And I think what Jesus saw at the, was the finished product. He endured the cross because of what he saw in the end, and that was you and I. He had no problem then going to the cross. Father, if there any way, be any way that this cup would pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I just wanted to follow out your will. And in the end, look at the byproduct, look at the fruit. That's the things that we're to have. God, help me. You and I are to understand that even through those difficult times, God is faithful. Even the times when we lack the things that we should, hit, we, we need, God is faithful. Our source is God. He's our beginning. He's our end. And as we may close this letter off next week, not the work. We never close off the work that God wants to do in our lives. Amen. He wants to always, may we increase in love. May we increase in the patience of Christ as we grow through these days in which we live. Let's pray together. Father, again, we come to you and we're so blessed because we have your word. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.